Friends, our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew and begins with Jesus walking in the spiritual footsteps of his heroes. Like Moses and Elijah, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. We just entered the season of Lent on Wednesday, also considered a season of fasting. Although if you had asked Alexa how many days until Easter on Ash Wednesday, she would have told you 46, not 40. Do you know why? Sundays don't count. Sundays are always a fast day. They are always a feast day. They are always many Easter's. The story also recalls the wandering of the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years before they reached the promised land. So Lent is also described sometimes like a mini wandering in the wilderness. And of course, the ark, Noah and the ark, was lost on the sea for 40 days and 40 nights during the flood. Jesus' time in the wilderness also reminds us that wilderness is sometimes described as a fringe place, only barely under God's control, a wild place full of wild animals that has not been tamed or tended. It is not perfect and full of food like the Garden of Eden, but harsh and unpredictable. And yet it's still in the ways that Jesus is tested and tempted can recall the story of the Garden of Eden and how they were told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is another scripture for today. Of course, they did give in to that temptation because... As you hear in the story, this talking snake convinced Eve to eat from the tree. Scripture, like poetry, just with this opening phrase, can call so many things to mind. Let's listen together for the word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Again, Jesus said to him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and our understanding of God's holy word. Friends, I don't like to put anyone on the spot, so I won't actually have you do this. But if I asked you all to raise your hand if you believe in the existence of the devil, I don't think very many hands would go up. Although it's okay if you did raise your hand. And if I asked you all to keep your hand up if you believe in the existence of talking snakes, I don't think we would have any hands left up after that. But this doesn't mean that our scriptures for today are unhelpful or irrelevant in our lives. 
I think we may overlook these two stories sometimes because we don't have a framework for how they can be helpful to us on our spiritual journeys, but I encourage you to give them another chance today. First of all, they are very interesting, if only to show us how some ancient people thought about chaos, how they tried to make sense about why bad things happen to good people, about why the course of human history can go so badly for God's people, and about why we as individuals can struggle and suffer so much throughout our human experience. And one of the ways that ancient peoples made sense of all of this was to name an evil force and to call it an adversary who would become known as an accuser and develop into the devil or Satan. Following the recording of this story, though, the idea of Satan developed so much more. If I asked you who this person is, who you probably don't believe in the existence of, and what he would look like if he did exist, you might describe a red figure with horns and a long tail and a pitchfork. But let's not go down this path. This had not yet come into the minds of anybody when the Gospel of Matthew was recorded. It's a much more medieval invention. Satan then was an adversary, much like we might use the term Karen. Have you heard of anyone being called a Karen? The term worked the same way with Satan. Not as in you are an evil demon who will torture souls for all eternity and possess people and make them do wicked things, but as in would you stop being such a Satan? Will you get out of my way as I'm living my life? Anybody who took the role of a prosecutor, the opposing counsel who was arguing against you, anybody who took the form of debating you and getting in your way could be called in those days the the Satan, the enemy, the accuser, the adversary. But of course, in this story, we do have this figure with somewhat divine power coming to tempt and test Jesus. So the, te- the story and text is very disturbing because like in the story of Job, it is God's spirit that does lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. So again, not the demonic being with, with horns, but some spirit that challenges and tests and confronts him, a Satan. We had a lot of fun with this passage in the Wednesday morning Bible study because we read from many different translations and the message translates what Jesus says to him when he finally says, away with you, Satan, having overcome all of these challenges. It says, beat it, Satan. We had a good laugh at that. So what is God's role in the tests that are before us? If we think about the children and how many things they need to learn as they grow, which might feel like tests to them, If we think about God's role in putting a delightful tree in the garden and telling people not to eat of it, but of course it was beautiful and wonderful and they chose this knowledge of good and evil instead of staying safe in the garden as we talked about on Ash Wednesday. And we can wonder about this problem. Why would God allow this devil to exist at all? Who is God if all of these trials we go through are true? What is God really like? Does God allow us to suffer? What does it mean when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, hopefully every day, but definitely every week, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil? Is this God's job to save us from temptation? 
The simple story, I think, as the Bible lays it out, is that God does tempt us, or at least allow the devil to tempt and test us, and we suffer in our attempts to prevail. But I think it is too simple to take from the story what we usually take. Jesus was tempted or tested. Jesus prevailed. Be like Jesus. End of story. Is it that easy? It's one way to read the passage, but the gospel is good news, and I would not call that good news. I think there's so much more here for us today. And I don't think that the strangeness of a talking serpent in the garden or Jesus' debate with this devil, who we may or may not believe in the existence of, should let us be distracted from the brilliance of how these stories speak right to the heart of our human experience. There is something fabulously bizarre about them, and yet at the heart there is something that is even truer than a simple fact. Friends, I think we are in a time of huge leaps in understanding about the self and the human mind. I think that, strangely, human beings explored the surface of the moon and the depths of the oceans before scientists even began to get a good understanding of what is going on inside our brains and our minds. And it's finally beginning to change. We're starting to understand how this all works, how we work, what makes people tick. There are new bodies of research about the chemistry of the brain, how our mental processes are carried out, and we are learning how to harness this knowledge and how to let it become helpful to us, how to develop strengths in order to change our behaviors and habits and thoughts and strengthen relationships. Have you noticed how this has led to an absolute boom in self-help books, along with destigmatizing getting therapy? Scientists are trying to understand these new frameworks and committed people. Praise God, because there is a mental health crisis going on and therapy is not accessible to everyone. People are trying to make it more accessible to everyone. Have you all noticed this? I've heard this industry called the personal development industry, and just before COVID, it was estimated that it is worth $10.5 billion, and I'm sure it's gone up even more. This research is shared through TED Talks and TV shows and podcasts and books and pop culture. And the latest and best example I have seen of this is Stutz, which came out three or four months ago and has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, if you can believe it, and which you can see. Do I give you all too many Netflix recommendations? (laughs) First Church is not sponsored by Netflix. But you can see it on Netflix, and I highly recommend it to you. So it's a movie, a documentary, by actor and comedian Jonah Hill about his relationship with his therapist, the influential Phil Stutz, and the author, along with Barry Michaels, of the book Tools, Coming Alive, Four Tools to Defeat Your Inner Enemy, Ignite Creative Expression, and Unleash Your Soul's Potential. The Bible has very arbitrarily had editors drop um, headings and titles into different passages. Can you imagine if this were the heading of the one that we got to? Tools, coming alive, four tools to defeat your inner enemy, ignite, ignite creative expression, and unleash your soul's potential. This actually might be a good heading for Jesus' time in the wilderness. So in this documentary, 
This therapist has developed tools which can be pictures and visualization tools, and I just want to introduce you to one today because I think it is so applicable to this passage. So this inner enemy, Stutz calls part X, and his theory about the human condition is that life is pain, uncertainty, and constant work. And this is what he says. When adversity comes, it is an opportunity for you. You are going to face part X directly. Now, part X is the judgmental part of you. We'll pause and look back at the scripture. Did you notice the devil saying twice to Jesus, if you are the son of God, it's the part that challenges who you are, who, your identity at its core. So Stutz says, it's an invisible force that wants to block you from changing or growing. If we were the little child on the swing struggling to learn how to pump our feet so we could get ourselves going, it would be that voice saying, you will never figure out how to do this. Everyone around you knows how to do it, but something must be wrong with you. You are just going to hang here, held down by gravity, stuck. That would be part X. But, of course, the part of the human experience is changing and growing. So he says, part X wants to block your evolution and potential. And Jonah replies, part X would be the villain of the story of being a person. Right? He's confirming this with his dear friend and therapist because his therapist has given him these tools that he wants to make accessible to everybody. So he says to think of the tools as what the hero on the journey, who is all of you, can use to fight the villain, who I think is just like the devil in this passage. He says part X is the voice of impossibility saying, give up. It gives you a dossier, a false one, of who you are and what you are capable of, and it puts fear, primal fear, in human beings. And he says you can't defeat him or banish him. He will keep coming back. And this is true in the biblical account as well. The devil doesn't leave for good. But he says you need the villain because you need to grow. And what makes you happy is learning to love the process. He says the highest creative potential of human beings is to create in the face of adversity. And when we enjoy fellowship hour together, we will be surrounded by the faces of peace, the people who are some of the best heroes and heroines that we know of who are able to create peace in the face of adversity. But first, we all need to battle that inner demon, that inner part X. Before we step into the face of external conflict and oppression, we have to know who we are and what it is that we are called to do. We have to overcome the part X within. So what the devil is doing with Jesus is trying to get him to question his whole identity, his self, his purpose, what he's called to do. Each one of these tests goes right to the heart of why Jesus came. Should he sit alone in the wilderness and perform some kind of miracle, like a magic trick to feed himself? Should he turn stones into bread? No, he is the bread of life, and he is called to sit with the people in a field and turn their small offerings that they gather up into a feast that has enough for everybody. Should he take the place of empire? 
which first of all we know was not the devil's to offer. But should Jesus say, yes, I will take earthly power, I will seize political power, I will be the king, I will take place of the emperor, I will fix everything from on high. No, he came to sit with the people who were the most oppressed and to allow it be a movement of love that began with them. He came not to lord over anybody but to wash people's feet, to sit in humility and show people a new way to be powerful, which is power with instead of power over. He did not come to test God to take his life so lightly that he would be willing to just play fast and loose with this dear gift, to throw himself down and see if God would save him. No, he came to show people how sacred and important this human life is, such that we should care through one another through this life. So I think what's happening in Jesus' encounter with the devil is that it's his opportunity to solidify who he is and what he came to do. I have a journal from the confirmation class that we're working on, and we have in it the statement of faith from the United Church of Christ. And this part, I think, is so interesting. We don't really talk about it enough. That one of the things that God offers us is that God seeks in holy love to save all people from aimlessness and sin. The aimlessness comes first. What the devil and what part X tries to challenge us to do is to lose sight of who we are and what we're supposed to be all about. And in an encounter with that temptation, when we can name who we are and what it is we're called to do, it is in doing that that we grow. I absolutely loved Reverend Jake Joseph's sermon last week, and it is such a blessing that if you missed it, you can listen online later. But I think that this helped Jesus to identify exactly what his dream was. If you did miss it, Jake's sermon was on that song that the Reverend Mother, Mother Abbess, sings to Maria, climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow until you find your dream. And then he goes on with that, a dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. Well, this encounter, this defeating part X helps you say, no, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is who I've been created and called to be. And this is the dream that I will follow and chase for the rest of my life. Part X won't leave you alone. It will keep coming back. Like the devil said to Jesus, is that really who you are? And if you are, then prove it. Well, this is how we learn. This is how we grow. This is how we know who we are as human beings. So friends, does that voice pop up for you? And what does it say? Only you know. But can you get good at saying, beat it, part X? Can you get good at identifying who you are and only you and only God knows? And can you get really clear about naming exactly what it is that you are called to be and exactly what it is that you are called to do? We say in Lent, repent and believe the good news. Well, repent means turn around. Turn around from part X. Know that Jesus walks alongside you. Face the road ahead and walk into that reality, which you and God only know. Thanks be to God.